I invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 84, but uh, before I read the scripture for today, I'd just like to take a moment. Connie and I would want to thank you guys so much for your prayers and your cards and all the little things that you did for us while she was in the hospital. She was in the hospital for two months and a day, kind of an ordeal, but just to let you know what the power of prayer has done. She had surgery in Norfolk, and then we went to West Point, and she was there. While she was in West Point, she developed what they call a fistula. And what that is is a leaky intestine going into the wound. And so they immediately shipped her to Omaha, and she was down there for 11 days. And there was a team of doctors came in every morning and that first couple of days that we were down there, this team of doctors walked in, and they basically said there's a 30% chance of, well, maybe I should back up a little bit. What they said was the only way, because of her surgery, the only way for this to really heal is not to do surgery, but to take her off of all food and water and, and feed her through the vein. So she was fed through the vein for well, we just got off a couple weeks ago. Uh, but uh, anyway, that's how she was getting fed. And they said that was the only way that this could possibly heal. And what they said was, you have a, there's only a 30% chance that this will heal on its own. Otherwise, we're going to have to go in and do surgery. And this is where the power of prayer came in. I, when the doctor said that, I immediately said to him, you have no idea how many people we have praying for us. And he said, well, that's good. And so we went back to Omaha a month ago. And when we went in there, the doctor said, well, I was getting all ready to do surgery because or schedule surgery. And uh, to let you know how she has healed, yesterday she had, for food, <laughs> I don't know, I shouldn't tell you, but she, we had pancakes and sausage and eggs in the morning. We had we had bacon and tomato for dinner, and last night she had ribeye and baked potato and sweet corn. So I think she's doing okay. <laughs> so anyway, thank you so much. You, you have been so supportive of the church, and we just give you, we give you guys the praise, and we especially give our Lord the praise for the healing in her body. So with that, all done. Let's look at uh, Psalm 84. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version. And it starts out with, My soul longs for, for the courts of the Lord, the choir master, according to the Giddeth, a psalm of the sons of Korah. Now, starting with verse 1 in, in uh, chapter 84. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars. O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house, every ever singing your praise, Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you 
and whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make a place of springs. The early rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a, than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we just give you the praise this morning for the awesome God that you are. Lord, you are an all-knowing God, all-loving God, and we totally put our lives in your hands and trust you for the days ahead and for today. And Lord, as we uh, are in your house this morning, Lord, we just give you the praise that we can be in, in your house and that we have the freedom to worship you as in this nation, and Lord, I just pray for your, your Holy Spirit that it will touch this congregation, touch each individual, help us to uh, digest and take in our hearts and our minds what Pastor has, has for us today, and I pray for Pastor especially, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will touch him and give him the words to say and to uh, lead us in this congregation, Lord. We just totally give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, John. Keep your Bibles open to Psalm 84 as we uh, make our way through this passage this morning of God's Word. Yesterday, my family and I were in Iowa uh, back at my folks for a family reunion, and uh, my daughter, Esther, is training now for cross-country, and so she and I got up early in the morning and went for a run around my old neighborhood, uh, which, of course, is made up of, of gravel roads, corn and bean fields, and a handful of farm places, and we, we ran along several uh, bean fields that I used to have to walk with my family in the summertime to, to chop and pull weeds. And uh, I remember this one particular hot morning that we had to walk beans. It was late June or early July, and by late morning it was getting very hot and humid. And we were walking mile rounds, uh, so once across the field was a half a mile, and we'd turn around and come back, and that'd be, that'd be a mile. And so there was, there was one thing that, that kept me going on that hot morning, that day, since it had been so hot, um, we had probably been complaining a bit more than usual, and uh, my dad had offered to take us all out to the truck stop for lunch. So we, as we made our way across another mile round and things were getting tough, well, I got to thinking about lunch. 
about what I would get to experience eating at the truck stop, which was just three and a half miles uh, west of where we were walking beans. What my mind became fixated on was the cold, amazingly refreshing, tall glass of soda fountain, of soda fountain Pepsi poured over a cup full of ice that I would be able to drink with a straw. Once I began to think about that, it was the only thing I thought about. And uh, uh, I just continued to, 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 to think about that, and I could hear the fizz bubbling up in the, in the glass. I could, I, I could see it sitting on the table in front of me. I could, I could feel the cool, air-conditioned air all around me. And of course, I could almost taste how sweet and crisp that soda fountain cup of Pepsi would be as it passed through that straw into my dry and thirsty mouth. For the rest of that round, as I was chopping volunteer corn and, and, and pulling cocklebur, I longed for what I was promised was sure to come. That ice cold Pepsi at the truck stop. When was the last time that you had a great longing for something? C.S. Lewis, in his excellent book, Mirror Christianity, wrote this in a chapter entitled, Hope. He wrote, hope is one of the theological virtues. This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking. But one of the things a Christian is meant to do. So brothers and sisters, we are, we are meant to hope. We are meant to long for something better. Not that we can't enjoy what we experience here and, and now that, that does lift our spirits. We, we do experience true joy. It's just that it, it doesn't satisfy. It never lasts. Sometimes you go to the truck, the truck stop and they're serving Coke. <laughs> we have this desire, this, this longing for something better. We, we long for the new heavens and the new earth. And later in uh, Lewis's chapter on hope, he, he writes this little more famous line, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. And what we find here in Psalm 84 is that for the Christian, the longing to be in this better world is actually a longing to be with God himself. We were not just made for another world. Uh, we were made to be with God to know him, to glorify him, and to serve him. And we can experience that here, but we can only experience it fully when we are with him in the world that is to come. And so as you look at Psalm 84 this morning, the main thing we see here is that God blesses those who long to be home with him both in this life and the next. 
Now, we don't know the author of this psalm, and we're not sure of the timing of when it was written. One thing is clear, though. It is a psalm that has this theme of longing. Uh, one great Bible scholar noted, longing is written all over this psalm. And as we read it with the historical context in mind, we would notice that the longing seems to be for the temple, the house of the Lord, which was his dwelling place on earth, where his people gathered to worship and make sacrifices at the altars. But as Hebrews teaches us, the temple was just a shadow meant to be a representation of heaven, where God dwells. The, the, the temple structure was this place set aside for God to dwell with his people and where his people could come to be in his presence, but it was never meant to be the ultimate place, the ultimate home. That was still yet to come when God's anointed one, the Messiah, would come to rule over all the earth in the presence of his people. So this is a psalm of longing for God's house, longing for his presence, which the temple served as, as a temporary house, but it will ultimately be fulfilled when Jesus Christ returns and brings heaven to earth and dwells with his restored and redeemed people in the new world to come. So the psalm divides up nicely for us in, uh, uh, with these three blessings that are found in verse five, uh, verse, I'm sorry, verse four, verse five, and verse 12. So we've d divided up the psalm then according to those blessings. And of course, whenever you see uh, the Selah uh, there, that's also a good indication of, of, of how the psalm has been divided up. So we'll follow that as well. So verses one through four here, longing for the blessings of home. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow finds a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house ever singing your praise. So we are to understand here that the psalmist is not making a comment at how lovely the dwelling place of God looked. That's not why he uses the word lovely here. You know, like you might say to your, to your neighbor who has worked very hard uh, to make her flower beds bright and colorful with a variety of beautiful flowers. You know, oh, your, your garden is, is so lovely. Or, you know, to someone with a, with a very clean and comfortable home, you, you say, how lovely is your dwelling place? How lovely is your house? No, no, the psalmist is calling God's dwelling place lovely because of how beloved it was by his people. It's a place where all of God's people love to be. They long to be at God's house, in his courts, with him. It is a beloved place. And verse 2 vividly describes his longing. His soul longs, even faints, to be with the Lord. His flesh and his heart and flesh cry out, which is a better translation than the ESVs here, sing for joy, to the living God. But crying out for God. This is not just a, a desire to go on vacation for a week. 
This is not just describing the desire that a sixth grade boy has to be out of school for the summer. This is a desperate longing for salvation, to have our, our whole being rescued out of our fallen condition and brought into the place of joy and love where we belong in the very presence of God. He then shares how he envies the birds. The birds get to make their homes in God's house. So this is a, a kind of a, a revelation for us that, that in the temple, uh, just like in many other buildings, there were, there, were, there were birds who made nests on the top of the pillars and the walls of the temple. This almost says, oh, to be like them. Oh, if I could be like them, to be able to be in God's house, to make a home there, to be able to dwell with him and raise our young in his presence. There may be no greater blessing than the blessing of dwelling forever within the Lord's house, which in the New, the New Testament just means being a part of the coming forever kingdom in the new heavens and the new earth where there will be no need for a temple. For all who are there will be in the very presence of the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb, that is Jesus Christ, the Son. And as the New Testament tells us, when we are with him, from Revelation 21, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for all the former things have passed away. The former things of this world are the things that cause all of our sorrow, our sin, and the sins of others who hurt us. That's what we are all longing for. That is what we will receive. That is where we will live forever. If, if we are the kind of people who know the Lord now and long to be with him now, to dwell in his house. Secondly, verses five through eight, uh, longing for the blessings of pilgrimage. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers, covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. For those who follow Christ, we know that there are not only blessings for us in the next world, in the next life, but there are also great blessings reserved for us as we make our way there in this life. It's kind of like the blessings parents experience when they have children. The great hope of every parent is for their son or daughter to grow and mature and then to be launched out into the world fully equipped to be a responsible young adult who's able to provide for him or herself. That's the goal. If you're a child here, no, that's the goal. That's what we're pushing for, okay? There's a longing in every parent's heart for that time. Yet, there are incredible blessings for both the parents and the children as they grow, as they make their way towards that day when they're off on their own. No parent would trade those blessings for anything that can only be enjoyed on the way 
toward launching their children out. And that's the focus of the second blessing or the second beatitude here in verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. Now, uh, the word highways here uh, is where we get the word pilgrimage from. Um, in the original Hebrew, the name uh, Zion is, 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 is uh, not found, um, as uh, the ESV has here. So it's been inserted. Uh, it's been put into the verse because of the context. So if God's people were ever making a, a pilgrimage, they're ever making a journey toward God's house, the temple, well, they would, of course, be going to Mount Zion, where the temple was located in Jerusalem. So some translations, instead of putting Zion in there, instead, insert Jerusalem. Uh, but this word for highways is often associated here with, with pilgrimage in the Old Testament. So throughout church history, uh, Christians have thought of themselves as pilgrims. Uh, that is, as those who are on this journey, they're making their way towards the place where they belong. Our lives are all uh, a pilgrimage towards our promised homeland, towards the fulfillment of all of our longings to be in the presence of our God and Savior and with his people forever. So God's word in Psalm 84 tells us that if, if that pilgrimage is in our hearts, if that way is in our hearts, if we believe we are on our way towards our promised home through this life, then we are blessed. We are blessed by God. We will not only be blessed once we arrive there on the other side, we will also be blessed on the journey there through this pilgrimage. And verse 6 gives us the image of our journey passing through an arid and dry valley and, and that as we, as we pass through it, well, we make it a place of springs. As believers pass through this fallen world where death's long shadow hangs over us, by God's spirit, we are able to bring life and light into it. For every Christian, Jesus Christ is our model for faithfulness and for righteousness. And for the past few years, uh, we've been making our way through the Gospel of Luke on Sunday mornings, and we've been learning uh, from his life. And what did Jesus do with his life? Jesus did not just immediately go to the cross and die for our sins when he was born. He lived. His life was a pilgrimage towards his destiny on the cross and the grave and then his resurrection and ascension. But on the way there, what did we see him do? He made friends. He made friends on the way. He served his family on the way, working as a carpenter in Nazareth until he was around 30 years old. He taught God's word. He opened the eyes of the blind. He healed those with terrible physical disabilities. He lifted up those who were downcast. He gave hope and salvation to many who were in despair. He obeyed his Father in heaven with all that he did on the way. And so for many of us, we, we, have, we have not just become Christians, but have been following Christ for a number of years now. So has the thought ever crossed your mind, why doesn't the Lord just, just 
take me to be home with him now. If it's going to be so great, why not just take me now? Especially when things get tough, when things are hard, when, when we're suffering. Why doesn't he just take me now? And of course, we all know the answer to that question, don't we? The Lord has a purpose for us here. There is still work to be done in this fallen world. We need to raise our children to know and fear the Lord. The truth needs to be told to so many who have been, 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 been fed the lies of our enemy in our society. People who are so often overlooked and forgotten about and despised, they need to be noticed. They need to be remembered. They need to be loved and helped. The gospel still must go out to the nations who have not heard of Jesus. Churches need to be planted and disciples need to be made within communities and tribes and areas that are still unreached. So we are called to be salt and light within the world that is bitter and dark. We are called to offer a drink of life-giving water to souls who are parched and dry from the emptiness of a life without God. C.S. Lewis, again, in his chapter on hope, argues this. He says, I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, that is, for, for heaven, for the world to come. I must keep alive in myself the desire, the longing for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. Now listen to this. He says, I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and to help others to do the same. If we view our lives as a pilgrimage through a world that's not our home, toward the dwelling place of the Lord God where we will enjoy his fellowship, his presence forever, then we will be blessed and strengthened to serve him on the way there. And then in, in uh, uh, the last section here, verses 9 through 12, blessings for those who live with a longing to be home with the Lord. Blessings for those who live with a longing to be home with the Lord. Verse 9, Behold our shield, O God, look on the face of your anointed, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. So the third blessing or beatitude is, is there in that last verse of the psalm, verse 12. Uh, by the way, uh, the psalmist has structured the psalm here so that the blessing comes last in the first section there in verse 4, and then it comes first in the middle section there in verse 5, and then last once again in the final section there in verse 12. It's a blessing for those who live with this longing to be home with the Lord. Blessed is the one who trusts in you. It's a blessing for those who are, are not home yet, but who are longing to be there. In the context of, of, of the psalm, it is a blessing for the one who trusts in the Lord's promises of being with him, of dwelling with the Lord in his house. Now this, of course, is once again a description of all believers. 
A believer is one who believes God's word, who believes his promise. A believer is one who trusts in the Lord. So that helps us to understand then the other description of the believer there in verse 11, which of course is a, is a wonderful verse, maybe one for you to note and, and maybe memorize or at least meditate on this week there, verse 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So when the psalmist says here, those who walk uprightly, he's not just distinguishing human beings from animals or people who walk uprightly as opposed to those who have bad backs and are hunched over. You know, walking uprightly was a way of saying, as other translations have it, those whose life is blameless, those who live in integrity, those who do what is right. In the Psalms and in the whole Bible, those who are righteous or who are upright are those who trust in God. They are those who know God, who know him as their shield, as their savior. They are those who have humbled themselves and who have come to depend upon God for everything they need, particularly for the forgiveness of sins and for righteousness before him. They trust God for that, and as they do, the Lord changes their heart and empowers them by his spirit to walk uprightly, to live a life that is blameless before him. That is the blessing of the one who trusts in God. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Now, let's notice that, that this promise uh, doesn't say that God will gladly provide all the good things that we want or even all the good things that we think we need. It says God will not withhold anything that he says is good for those who trust him. This is his word. We see a similar promise in the, in the New Testament. In 2 Peter 1, verse 3, God's word says, His divine power has granted, us, has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So one way to meditate on this verse is to consider what are some of those things that God has granted to you that pertain to particularly to life, spiritual life, and godliness. What are some of those good things that God has not withheld from you, but has gladly blessed you with so that you've been able to endure in faith? But one of those good things is right before your eyes this morning. It is this church family. It is your brother or sister in Christ that's sitting right in front of you or sitting behind you. These people who have all come here this morning and who are here every Lord's Day morning, if nothing prevents them from coming, they are here in order to, to encourage you, to build you up in the faith, to help you to be reminded that, that you're not crazy for believing the Bible or following Jesus. For they follow him too. 
The Lord has provided us with one another to worship him together in song, to pray for one another, to share God's word with one another so that we'll grow in our faith and our understanding of the gospel. And he's provided the church to be the hands and feet of God to love and care for each other. Do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? The Apostle Paul declares that in 1 Corinthians 3.16. As the psalmist longs to be in God's house, the New Testament tells us the church is God's house. The church is God's temple. Not this building, not this structure, but all of you who have come together. God's house is God's people who trust in him. And so when we read here in verse 10, which my Bible turned the page on me here, read in verse 10, for a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. We see once again this longing of the psalmist, which is the longing of every believer. It's far better to be in the house of God, gathered together with God's people, even if all you are there for, all you are tasked with doing there is holding the door open for others who come in. It's better to be that guy, to be there within the midst midst of God's people and God himself than to be admired by the wicked, admired by those in the world who are outside of God's people, outside of God's house. Of course, this is ultimately pointing forward to when God's people will be with him forever in the new heavens and the new earth. And the best place to experience just a taste of that in the here and in the now is when we are gathered together within the church. So do you want to experience heaven on earth? Don't go to the Grand Canyon. Don't go to the beach. Don't go out for frozen custard. Those are all good things. But if you want to experience heaven on earth, go to church. Go to church, gather with God's people, for when the Lord will fulfill our longings for being with him, when God will bring us to himself into heaven, we will not be alone, but we will be there along with his people. Those who have also put their faith and trust in the Lord's anointed. You see the Lord's anointed mentioned here in verse 9. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. So as we know this is referring to the Messiah, uh, the Lord Jesus, because in verse 11 it says, The Lord God is a sun and shield. Just like the anointed one um, in verse 9, where the Greek translation would say the Christ the Christ, Jesus. This is, that's, that's another of the good things that the Lord God will not withhold from those who walk uprightly, from those who trust in him. God has provided us with a shield, one who will shield us from God's judgment against our sins, one who has shielded us from God's wrath by taking it for us already on the cross when he died for sinners there like you and me. Jesus is God. And he is our shield. And the only way that sinners like you and I will be able to be welcomed into God's presence 
in heaven and in the, in the new world to come is if Jesus Christ is our shield, if we have put our trust in him. So, of course, the question then falls on us. Ha, have you done that? Ha, have you put your trust in Christ? Are you following him? Has he transformed your life? Christ is the only way for you to be in God's house forever. Now, there's a great new hymn that's recently come out written by uh, Matt Papa and Matt Boswell called Almost Home. Uh, you have to look it up online because you won't hear it on Christian radio. Uh, but I first saw that it was released on July 15th, the day after Marianne Gonzalez passed away. And as I first listened to that song and, and read the verses, it seemed like the song was just, just a gift sent down to us from Marian herself. It, it is an encouragement for believers to continue to press on, to stay the course, and let our longing for home lead us there. It goes like this. Don't drop a single anchor, we're almost home. Through every toil and danger, we're almost home. How many pilgrim saints have before us gone? No stopping now, we're almost home. That promised land is calling, we're almost home. And not a tear shall fall then, we're almost home. Make ready now your souls for that kingdom come. No turning back. We're almost home. And then the last verse. This life is just a vapor. We're almost home. That sun is setting yonder. We're almost home. Take courage for this darkness shall break to dawn. Oh, lift your eyes. We're almost home. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do humbly come before you and, and, and recognize our need for you. We need you to get home. And you have sent your son Jesus to lead us there. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one shall come to the Father except through him. So Lord, help us today to put our faith and hope in him and to hold on to him as we make our way home. Lead us there, O Lord, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen.